Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, starting in verse 9. There's Bibles in the back. I've got one of the tall ones, and I'm on page 771. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His, his throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but in it but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming out of the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people Nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter 7. You can follow along if you want to. I encourage that. Um, some of y'all, when we're reading this, we're like, what in the world are we going to talk about today? Right? You're like, what is, what is going on here? Um, so uh, I actually, uh, this is one of my uh, favorite parts of the book of Daniel, and I think you'll figure out why as we start to get in it. Uh, but I kind of want to pose this question as we, as we dive into the text. And the question is this, what do we do in response to all the conflict around us? Have y'all seen conflict? Yeah. yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, we've seen some conflict. You've seen conflict on a national level? Yeah. You seen conflict on a local level? You seen conflict in your life? Okay, so every it's there, okay? I don't have to I don't have to argue if that's that's real. That's reality. There's conflict on every single level. And so the question that this text is going to pose to us is what do we do in response to the reality of the conflict that is there? And what this text is going to instruct us to do today is that in response to the conflict around us, we have to trust in the promises of God. That in response to the conflict around us, we have to trust in the promises of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would pour out your spirit, that you would give us an accurate understanding of your word. Lord God, that your word would be here to convict, to convert, to encourage. We are in desperate need of a word from heaven, of a word from you. So speak clearly this morning. Let us see your glory and how awesome you are, how we can look to you when we're in trouble and we can find help. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you a little context. We've got a saying in the church. Context is 
king. Context is king. Okay, so when you're trying to understand something in the scripture, you got to look to what's in front of it, what's behind it, what is the context of the book. And so the first part of Daniel chapter 7 is the prophet Daniel seeing a a vision of these vicious beasts attacking and killing one another. That's the first part of, of that chapter. And in the book of Daniel, these beasts represent human kingdoms. Okay, so these beasts represent these human kingdoms and he looks at these these beasts and they're constantly in conflict. They're constantly fighting one another, constantly killing one another. And, And he sees this this vision of the reality of our world, that human power is at work in pride and the propensity to seek to dominate one another. I don't know if you've ever been to a history class, but. When you go to history test, you're usually having to memorize dates of wars, right? And it's like, it's, it's like that's the, 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 the history is like a history of the war. This nation fought that nation, then they fought, and then they fought each other. And they, that, that's, that's what the history is. And so, so we can see this vision at work and at play in history and, and, and where we uh, look at and around the world. And so uh, the Bible sees sin as, this, as acting animalistic. When it's talking about the, the beast and, and these beasts attacking, it's actually a personification of sin. And in other words, it's saying that sin is kind of like, like a stray dog. The stray dog do what it wants. It's just be roaming around. It probably annoys you. It's in your yard. You don't really have a lot of reason. You know what I'm saying? When we're acting sinful, the scripture is saying that we're acting animalistic, that we're not using uh, our, our rational nature, that we're not thinking uh, with the mind of Christ. And we see pride and aggression at work on various levels of human interaction. Right? We talked about nations. We can also talk about politics, how the type of language that is thrown at political uh, uh, opponents. We can even see it on the local level. You know, we had... Um, Principal Delaney from Carolina, he came and spoke, and one of the things he told me that in our local high schools, there are 13 gangs active. Okay, so we see there's conflict on the local level. Down the street at the fish market, there was a robbery, and people were beat up. We see it on a local level. We even see it maybe in, in, in situations that don't look as grimy. We can see uh, white-collar uh, uh, acts of aggression and pride and petty arguments, Yeah can be at work and people talking about one another. They saying craziness to each other. We see pride, ego, aggression seep into every aspect of human life. And when Daniel saw this vision of beasts attacking one another, I think the question he had in his heart was, where in the world do I look? Because when I look around, I see aggression. When I look around, I see conflict. Where do I look? That's where the scripture starts. He says, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The courts were convened and the book was open. What he's saying is when everybody is wilding out, we have to look to the ultimate judge. 
that there is going to come a day where God judges the aggression and the oppression and the violence that we see in humanity. So when, when the divisions and the anger of this world invade our lives, we look up to the just judge. The one who was going to set all things right. Because if we focus only on the mess, our hearts will sink. We'll be overcome with frustration and grief. But when we see the, the, the injustice, the violence, the bitter, bitterness, the bickering, we have to look up and see there is one who sees everything, who is all powerful, who will set things right. Now, when we look at this, this passage, it has a lot of imagery. And, and what this, this vision of God is supposed to tell us is it's telling us different aspects about his nature. What we need to understand from the scriptures is that a vision of God changes us and those around us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. So he's looking at the glory of the Lord. And are being transformed into the same image from one glory to glory. So what he's saying is when you look at God, when you see the glory of God, it leaves you changed. You can't look at the glory of God and go and do whatever you want. It actually has an effect on your heart. Nobody sees a vision of the transcendent, glorious, all-powerful God and remains the same. He's like, like he's, he's hearkening back to one. There's one time when Moses went up to the mountain and he met with the Lord. And when he came back down from the mountain, his face was shining. And everybody was like, whoa, where have you been? That there was physical effects of, for him being in God's presence. And so when we look at this scripture, we need to see an accurate picture of who is this God we worship. Too often we, we sing worship songs and we don't know who we're worshiping. We don't know his, his, his nature. We don't know his characteristics. But if we're going to worship properly, we have to have an accurate and clear picture of this God that we serve. And so when we look at this imagery, it says that, that his clothing was like snow. That points to his holiness. That he is perfect in all of his ways. He possesses all excellent qualities. That he is pure, completely unstained from sin. That he is, he is beautiful, the sum of all desirable qualities. Not, not beautiful in the sense that you see a pretty girl, but beautiful when you stand in front of the Grand Canyon and you see the vastness and the greatness of the natural creation. And it points to the vastness and the greatness of the God that we serve. Beloved, if we see a vision of God, we will not be the same. He then goes on to say that he has this, this white hair. It, it points to his wisdom. He says he chooses the best goals and the best means to accomplish those goals. See, the saying goes that with age comes wisdom. You heard of that? With age comes wisdom. How wise is the one who is timeless? How wise is the one who's been living forever? His wisdom far out surpasses ours so that when we look to him, we can say, your way is right. And I can even expect to not understand every single one of your ways, but I can say that your ways are wiser than mine. When it, when it talks about, he's, it says when he's sitting on this fiery throne with fiery wheels. Basically, he's sitting on this flaming chariot. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I can't really sit on fire. Can you? 
Okay, <laughs> I like I just can't be sitting on fire, riding around on a flaying throne chariot. But He is all powerful. He is omnipotent. Is there anything too hard for Him? When we look to God, we see the Holy One, the Wise One, the All Powerful One. So when we see the mess in our lives, when we see the frustrations and the complications in our lives, we have to look to that Wise One. We have to look to that All Powerful One. It even says, listen, it even says he is served by and worshiped by powerful heavenly beings. You ever heard this old phrase, the Lord of hosts? Y'all heard that? Anybody know what a host is? I know I heard that in King, the King James. I'm like, I don't even know what a host is. I know he's Lord of them, though. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen, that, that translates to the Lord of the angel armies. That he has these, these, these massive armies of angelic beings. And y'all, when y'all think about angels, sometimes you think of like really pretty looking people or fat babies. That is not, that is not how the Bible describes angels. I want you to understand, every time an angel shows up, do you know what he says? He says, don't be afraid. Every single time. So these are, are massive, powerful, divine beings and thousands upon thousands worship him. Listen to the scene from Revelation. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And it says the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. There are these powerful divine beings that if you saw them, you would be scared out of your mind. And thousands upon thousands of them stand around the throne for eternity worshiping him. Now listen, if the servants are terrifying and powerful, how much more is the boss? All right. If, if, if the servants got to say, yo, you don't be scared when you look at me. How much more should we look at the glory of God and be in awe? See, see when, when we're in trouble and, and, and when we see the conflict and the frustrations of this life, Daniel is saying, listen, you have to look to him. Not to a puny God. Not to an uninterested God. Not to a God who's twilling in his thumbs. But to a God. And the scripture says he opened the books. What he's saying is, is he keeps an account and a record of everything that is done. He keeps an account of all the wrong that has been done to you. And he is going to make it right. And then in verse 11, we see that God judges prideful humanity. In verse 11, it says, I watched. Then because of the sound, the arrogant words, the horn was speaking. That horn represents a, a king of a kingdom. So because of the sound of the arrogant words, that, that leader was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to burn in fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted them for a certain time. So what we see is that God does not tolerate the prideful, that God destroys the prideful. See, pride comes from a creature that wants to have the authority of the creator. Whenever we want to claim control to make things happen exactly the way that we want, 
instead of trying to submit to the way that he wants it, we are acting in this, this beastly-like ma- ma- manner, and we're saying we have more wisdom than you. I don't, have you ever seen a trash-talking fool? Y'all seen one of them? They be talking a lot. Look, I have seen a lot. They be talking a lot of game, but let them get in a real fight. Y'all, we are trash-talking fools. We talk a big game. We talk a big game, but compared to God, who are we? That's right. God destroys all that would try to take his throne with this burning fire. And then we, we can get this point where, where God is over all the kingdoms and does not give them unlimited reign. That, that verse 12, it says, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain time. What is this talking about? He's saying, listen, 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 God has ultimate authority and he lets people have a little bit of reign. He lets people have uh, 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 some time to kind of figure it out. But, but these, kingdoms, these kingdoms function like kids on the playground, all right? They may misbehave. They may mistreat one another. But there's a power above them that sets limits and corrects. Yeah? So even when people are tripping, people are wilding out. Listen, this is God and his patience giving time to repent. But there is a limit. And then in verse 13, we see... This, this divine imagery that represents God the Father conquering the nations through God the Son. Look at verse 13. I continued watching the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory in a kingdom so that all those of every people, nation, language would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, if you're reading this or listening to this, you're like, I wonder who that son of man person is. Because this son of man person got all authority, all the, everything on worship. Who, who is that son of man person? Now, if you, if you pay attention to the Gospels, there's one particular title that Jesus likes to use of himself. Son of man. Constantly. The son of man does this. The son of man does that. And we're like, well, why does he call himself that? Who, what is he talking about? See, when Jesus was on trial, he gave a clue to his identity. In Mark chapter 16, it says, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He says, I am, said Jesus. And listen, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So who is this son of man? It is Jesus Christ, the son of man that conquers all of the awful kingdoms. And he sets up a kingdom that lasts forever, full of justice and righteousness. And when you see this vision of the son of man rising to the throne of heaven, what you are seeing is a vision of the ascension. Now, we're going to review a little bit. What happened? So Jesus lived. He lived this perfect life. He preached. He died on the cross. And the third day he rose again. And what happened? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's why we repeat that so y'all know. All right, so, so listen, this is a scene. This is a prophetic scene of Jesus Christ accomplishing his mission on earth, ascending into heaven, and him being given the rewards of accomplishing his mission. Listen, listen, he is, the ex- he is exalted as a supreme authority over all the whole creation as the Son of God. 
So it's interesting because we know the whole story, we can say that God the Father conquered the nations through the humble, self-giving sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, so we're saying that the nations act like mindless beasts, attacking one another, having such pride, wanting to dominate one another. But then the one who had all power came and lived this life as a humble lamb. And in his obedient suffering, atoning death. He defeats the evil one. See, God, he, he kind of he flips the expectations on their head. He defeats the nations in the form of this spotless lamb. The warlike and arrogant nations are defeated by the peaceful and humble lamb of God. Christ defeated evil through his obedient life and powerful resurrection. And so when, when Christ ascended to heaven, his kingdom is inaugurated now, but will come and continue forever. Now, listen, because y'all, y'all love politics, I don't know if you do or not. But, you know, there's a point when somebody's elected, right? And there's just like a gap until when they're inaugurated, yeah? Y'all know that gap? Everybody know he's the king. And everybody, or, or the president, everybody know. But there's going to come a point where it's like even more fully established, so what you need to understand is Christ's resurrection and ascension. That's like his election. Everybody know, the whole world knows, the, the demons know that he is going to be the one in power. There's going to come a day when he comes back, and that's Inauguration Day. When all the things are set right, when, when the authority is shown to be his. Listen, he sat down on the throne, and the church extends his rule through the power of the gospel. So Christ Jesus, the son of man who died in our place, rose again, sat down in authority on high. He is extending his rule right now through the church so that you and me and literally billions of others are worshiping him as a supreme creator. And he will come back and establish his kingdom forever and ever. The Nicene Creed says he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. So in other words, in other words, what's happening is Daniel sees the, the, the dysfunction and, and the, the, the anger and the, the beastly-like actions of the nations and the people around him. And God gives him a vision. And the vision is this. I'm going to come and I'm going to set all things right. I'm going to come and through my power, through my authority, through my gospel, I am going to make everything right. So Daniel, hold on. So hold on, wait. Wait with faith. Wait knowing that he will set all things right. Beloved, that's the same message that we have. When things aren't going well, when, when there's conflict, when we feel beat down by sin and circumstances, we are supposed to look up and say, I know that my Savior sits in heaven and that all authority has been given to him. And there will come a day when he comes back and everything will be set right. We look up to him and that sustains us with hope and with patience. And so the question is, how do we live in the period between the promises of God and the fulfillment of God's plan? Because that's where we're at, right? We're living in this, this kind of in-between. We can actually look to Daniel as an example. See, he lived as an exile, and he was a believer that God would rescue and restore his people, but he was in this other country under foreign power, and he's like, I believe that God's going to deliver us. I don't see it yet. What, what type of life did he have? What practice did he have to maintain his hope? 
the scripture says that there was one practice that he was willing to die for. You ever heard that Daniel in the lion's den, that story? So let's go back. Why, why, what, what had happened to him that he is in this situation? That, that's right. Because he was consistently praying. Look, Daniel 6.10. So when Daniel learned that the document, the document was that anybody who didn't worship the king, that they would put to death. When Daniel learned that that document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. This is a practice that he had, had, had started and that he continued to do, even under the threat of death. This must have been something important to him, yeah? It must have been something that, that he thought was integral to him being able to maintain faithfulness to God. See, Daniel had appointments with God throughout the day, appointments that he did not want to interrupt, even at the threat of death. This stabilized him and gave him strength to keep believing in God in hard circumstances. Now, listen, I'm about to get a little nerdy on y'all. If I ain't already got to, just, but, but come on, come on, come on. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to hit this. Listen, I want to tell you about a spiritual discipline that has radically transformed my life. And let me, let me back up a little bit. Let me tell you why. If you, if you pay any attention to the sermons, I try to add it. I talk about a spiritual discipline every sermon. I don't know if you got that or not. That's on purpose. And I'm like, well, why, why do I do that? Listen, we understand that we are saved because of Christ Jesus, because of what he has done. But, but listen, the Bible has really two descriptions of sin. One description of sin is that we've broken a rule and we need forgiveness. But Jesus also has this other description of sin. He calls it a sickness. So not only do we need forgiveness, but we need healing. Not only do we need pardon, but we need transformation. And beloved, he has provided this path of transformation through obedience to the disciplines that he's given us. All of us, we decide what we do less uh, on like cognitive decisions and more on just practices that we do. So for instance, I don't know if anybody's ever struggled with greed. It's holiday time, all right? Now I'm sure nobody ever came up to you and said, let me tell you of the value of greed. Like, I'm sure they didn't like, let's, let's, let's have it. Let me just draw a chart of why greed is, is just something you should do. No, what happens is, is you watch TV and all the commercials comes up. Yeah, what, what, what happens, what happens is, is you're, you're watching Netflix and, and it says, are you still there? You're like, I'm still here. And you, you, we, don't, you know, we, we don't understand, like, we, why, why shouldn't we just continue to get the thing that we want? It's not that somebody argued you in to greed. It's, it's that you had a practice that ingrained that value. And so the only way to change that is that you have practices that ingrain a different value. You see what I'm saying? It's not so much that we need to have a logical decision about why your sin is bad. Do you not know that? You know already. We didn't all, it's not, that's not the issue. It's like we actually have to have a, a framework of life, practices of life that actually take the truths of the scripture and drive them deep into our hearts. So, so, so what, that's, that is what Daniel is doing. Now, this, this discipline that he's doing, it's, it's been called the daily office, and it's not like Michael Scott and them. The sp- <laughs> it's called the daily office. The daily office provides a structured way of spending time with God each day. 
The daily office takes place at least twice a day. Get the history of this. The practice of fixed hour prayer is one that actually long predates the church. 3,000 years ago, King David practiced set times of prayer seven times a day. The prophet Daniel prayed three times a day. Devout Jews in Jesus' time prayed at the morning, afternoon, and evening. Such set times of prayer were one of the Israelites' great spiritual and cultural treasures, a practical way to keep their lives centered on God at all times. Even after the resurrection, Jesus' disciples continued to pray at certain hours of the day. day. Acts 3.1, Acts 10.2. Stopping to be with God by the means of the daily office was a key to creating a continual and easy familiarity with God's presence. Routinely setting aside small units of time for morning, midday, and evening prayer infuses the activities of our day with a deep awareness of who God is. Now listen, what I'm describing to you probably sounds foreign to you, but if we were to go to any church 500 years ago, everybody would be doing this. Everybody, that if, you, if you were to go to the Lutheran church, they'd be doing it. You go to the Presbyterian church, everybody would have been doing this. They would have been saying, listen, I, like, like sin in this world is, is so pervasive that I need to structure my life in such a way that I have a continual time of being with and remembering God. I remember uh, I, when I read about this, I started doing this about uh, three or four years ago. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. But I remember one day my wife said, what are you doing? You are different. She did. I didn't, I, didn't, she, I didn't even tell her I was doing it. I, I, I would have time in the morning, that I have time a, after lunch, and I would have time in the evening that I would set aside for God, that I would set aside for Scripture and prayer so that my life would be so in tune with God. And even she noticed a difference. And so, look, I, I, I like to make it practical. Can I make it practical? I'm going to make it practical. I'm going to give you a sample way to do this. If you're like, Will, how do I start doing this? I'm going to give you an example. In the morning, you can start with a psalm, and we have this Bible plan called the CBR Journal. You can Google it, you can put it on your phone. If you would start there, immerse your mind in the scriptures. And some of us who are really starting in prayer, we're like, what exactly do we pray? What am I supposed to say to God? Well, God, Jesus gave us this thing called the Lord's Prayer. You remember that one? And, and when you break it down, you know, our Father in heaven, we praise God for who he is. Give us what we need today. Give us our daily bread. Forgive my sins. The launching pad for prayer is amazing. But if you take that moment and dedicate it to the Lord. And then midday, listen, I, I remember when I was working at the bank, uh, when I used to work there, usually I had like an hour break to have really nice lunchtime, okay? But I would always eat, like I would spend that 30 minutes eating so I would have 30 minutes to be with the Lord. And I would, I would pause, I would read a psalm. You could just read a psalm, pause and lift up any burdens to the Lord. And then in the evening, what do you do there? You can prayerfully review your day. There, there are times where, listen, now when you're reviewing your day, two things happen. You're thankful for some stuff, and then you realize you messed up some places, right? You're like, oh, I was tripping when I had that conversation. Listen, but, but in that time, those are times for you to confess your sin to God, to ask God to renew you, to strengthen you, to heal you, and to pray for the next day. There's a tons of examples, but that is just a, 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 a one to get started. What this practice does is it reminds us that our salvation is coming, right? We live in, in this, this world of conflict 
of friction, of, 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 of hope that feels deferred. But when we're in the presence of God, we're reminded that our salvation is coming. We are empowered to live like Christ. We have the joy of the Spirit. And even in this vision, we are reminded with Daniel that in the midst of a conflict-riddled world, we will have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. At the very end of Daniel chapter 7, 727, it says, The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. What he's saying is, listen, Jesus has his everlasting kingdom, but he's going to share it with you. And as you spend time with him, as you concentrate and, and serve him, he strengthens your heart for those days when it's hard. He, he, he softens your heart on those days when you need to forgive somebody. He convicts you on those days when you feel particularly tempted by sin. Beloved, we have to run to him because there is strength. There is support with him. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So we look to God constantly, knowing that Christ will make all things right. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you are going to set everything right. That there's, there's no uh, offense, no, uh, no, no sin that is committed against us that you will not take into account. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stabilized by that truth. And Lord, I also pray for my congregation. Lord, I pray, I ask that we will be people of prayer. That we will be people who would mark out time in our day to be with you. Lord, what is life without you? What can we do without your strength? Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. So Lord, help us to structure our lives like that is true. But Lord, if we remain connected to you, Jesus says that we will bear much fruit and that the fruit will remain. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen this church, that you would strengthen us as a people who seek to be with you so that we could do the works that please you, that we could serve you, and that those around us could give glory to the Father who is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.